Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This independent podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and iHeartRadio, bringing you honest and unfiltered entertainment and discussion on the Montreal Canadiens and hockey news. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Putney are proud to be one of your trusted sources. If you are talking about it, so are we. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This premier independent fan experience podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and brings you honest and in-depth Montreal Canadiens discussion and entertainment. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Pudney are proud to be one of your trusted sources for Habs and hockey news. If you are talking about it, so are we. Are you in the market for quality sticks and equipment you can afford? There is a no-frills, no-nonsense company that wants to provide that to you, No Name Hockey. No Name Hockey is a small Canadian company started by former pro player Jason Goulet. When he retired, he searched for sticks that felt like when he was a pro but could never find the right one or one that was reasonably priced. So he decided to start No Name Hockey. Now No Name offers high-quality, customized sticks at a fair price. They won't try to wow you with a fancy name. They will focus on providing you a pro-stock quality stick that you can afford. The cost of sticks has gone through the roof due to sponsorships and licensing fees. No Name Hockey makes sticks for the No Names and players currently making a name. And welcome to yet another episode of Habs Unfiltered. Uh, this week we are joined by Scott McCarthy, a diehard Habs fan, a leadership podcaster and host of Moving Forward Leadership. He is also serving in the Canadian Forces and mocks the Sailors and Air Force daily on social media, which is why we at Habs Unfiltered love him so much. Welcome to the show, Scott. I wouldn't go so far as a daily, but yeah, okay. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> at least in the office you do oh yeah yeah in the office absolutely my boss is there for so it's just straight up right like so do you even forth. see him like does he just stay at home and nap or 
Uh, no, actually, he's hack hell. So he's kind of that good, a good mix of army and air force together. So it's like I, I can actually actually deal with him. He's not he's not like a fighter pilot, air force or tactical or, or, or ma- maintainer type, you know. Oh, okay. So does he walk around with the aviator sunglasses all the time? No, man. No, no aviator sunglasses. None of oh. that. He no, so he, no, no Top Gun. Oh, that he totally just disappointed me. I thought all air force officers did that. No. However, I was on course last year, and we did have some F-18 guys who were definitely Top Gun types with the aviators. Did they go play volleyball? Yeah, yeah. They totally played volleyball and kicked my butt in squash, but that's a different story. <laughs> <laughs> so, Scott, uh, this week we're, uh, we're bringing you on to talk about uh, leadership and hockey, but before we get into the leadership aspect, I wanted to have your take on what the Canadians did in uh, the play-ins and the playoffs. Like, what did you think of the whole start to finish? It was shocking, actually. It was, like, super surprising. I was one of those guys. I was kind of like Trek. I'm like, don't want to win. Don't want to win. I want that pick. I want that opportunity for the number one pick. Uh, I think that would have that would serve us in the long run. But what I saw out of the team through the Pittsburgh season or series and then even into the following series was a lot more than what we would gotten out of potentially a pick, right? That experience... And now, basically, the resurgence of KK. KK's um, confidence has got to be at an all-time high. He, he's really shown that that time down in Laval, down at the AHL with the Rocket, actually built him up, vice knocked him down. And for a 20-year-old, that, that speaks a lot to their character, right? It speaks a lot that they're not actually looking at the negative side of what the opportunity they were given, i.e. going down, down, but the opportunity that they were able to make for themselves, learn from it, take the time to learn, polish up, re, you know, refocus on the basics, add a little bit more to their game. And man, he brought it. He brought it for the whole playoffs, the whole series. The surgeon Nick Suzuki, like I think this has been co- uh, covered everywhere. Kerry Price, Kerry looking like the Kerry that we all know, the, the Kerry that we know could come out. And that can make other teams, you know, scared of what he's going to bring, i.e. a wall in front of the net. Weber looking like the Weber of old, uh, the emergence of Sherratt on his side, like, man, those two guys I would not want to face <laughs> on the ice, right? So we really saw, we really saw the emergence of what the Habs can be going down the line. Now, there's so many other questions that, that come up as well. You know, what's going to happen to Max Domi? What is going to happen with Deno now? Now, I, I don't know. Uh, like, I remember hearing your podcast saying it's not as bad as what it's being made out to be, which I could probably agree with. But I think if Deno ends up on the third line for an entire season, I don't know if he's going to be happy there. But it depends on how Julian and company use that third line as well. If they do let Deno go back and forth, playing its full 200-foot game, then who cares? He, a line, it becomes, instead of oh, the top line is the number one line. Well, no, it's basically 1A, 1B, 1C. Their numbers just to differentiate who they are. You could even get rid of line one, line two, line three, and give them different names, and no one would be any different. So a lot of interesting stuff. In the end, I'm act- I was happily disappointed that we didn't lose to Pittsburgh. I think a lot of good has come out of these play-ins and playoffs. And, and what did you think of the Jake Allen acquisition? Yeah, great. Uh, I, 
wasn't 100 percent you know aware of jake allen i know who, of jake allen but i'm not one of those guys who will dig into every single player in the league and understand their stats and how great they are and all that just sorry dad of two full-time job podcast on the side and i want to watch some habs i don't have the time for everybody else right <laughs> so but when i did look at jake and look at his numbers it's they're solid it's it's bergevin is finally said okay we've got to stop band-aiding the backup problem or stop looking at the young guys who are still developing in the minors. Let's go out and let's get someone solid and bring them in behind Kerry. And then the following question, like Jake is only got one year left on this deal. It's something That's like right. 4.3 4. or 4.8. I can't remember, but it's 4.35. 4. 4. 4. 4. 4.35. There we go. See, yeah. That's why you do this podcast, not me. <laughs> um, but it makes you wonder. He's got one year. If he does 30 games, he pulls out 18 plus wins next year. He, I guarantee that as long as Bergeron's got the cap space, which most likely he will, Allen will likely stay, right? And then it's like, Carey, Carey's time is slowly, you know, Carey's time is slowly starting to come towards the end, right? He's 30, what, 35, I believe? 34? 30, oh, he's only 33? Yeah. So he's, he's got another five years to go. So at what point do we start looking at lessening Carey's load as well as looking to the future past Carey Price, because Carey Price is going to leave one day. He's going to leave, and then he's going to leave. You know, he's going to retire at some point. So we got to have a plan post Carey Price. Could Jake Allen be that transition? Can he learn from Carey, get developed? We'll have to see. There's so many yeah. questions. There's so many questions left to be answered. But I think overall, it's a great move. We we stopped band-aiding it, and we actually got someone who can bring in some wins for us. Yeah, and what some people who are complaining about the the cap issues are missing out on is the fact that next NHL season, it's going to be a bubble again. So how many games are going to be back-to-backs? How many games are going to be three and four nights? That's where Jake Allen's value is really going to be felt. And look at what Bergeron got him for. Bag of pucks. Yeah. St. Louis needed to dump cap space. And And... That's how we got him. And yeah, that's he gave away two picks. Things. Yeah, two picks. The third and the seventh round, I believe, off the top of my head. That's which right. Which is really not that much. Not when you have 14 picks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> bag of pucks along next with a bag of picks. Uh, Bergevin's sitting pretty. So that's one of the things I like about Bergevin. He's, he's really calculated. Like, if you look at all the trades that he makes, he, he generally comes out on top as far as I'm concerned. I, I don't see too many trades that really – stick out as horrible, horrible trades. So I think that Allen deal is going to be another one of those in. He's coming out on top for sure. Now, <clears throat> pardon me. You, you mentioned, you mentioned Bergevin and his trading. Uh, this is where we're going to jump into the leadership now. Um, as, as someone who studies leadership and studies the, the intricacies of it, because some people don't understand just how in depth and how, how overarching, leadership is amongst every even everyday life what kind of what kind of leadership style do you attribute to Bergevin and what he is doing with the Canadians yeah that's a great question um what I would suggest out of the gate is Bergevin is really setting the vision for the team and and setting it long term he's not setting uh short-term visions 
you've seen him say it many times, right? I'm not going to leverage the future for the current. And that's, you know, him not trading away key prospects, less surrogative, uh, not trade, not trading away those really uh, pick, you know, those solid picks that we have. He's really looking down the line towards the future. And that's where, as a GM, that's where his headspace needs to be. He can't be too wrapped up in the day-to-day. Obviously, he's going to have his fingers on the pulse of the day-to-day, but that's why he's got Julian. That's why he's got the rest of his you know, executive management team. Bergevin needs to be worrying about down the line. Of course, as the, as the coaching staff, as assistant GMs bring these issues up that are affecting day-to-day, Bergevin's going to deal with them. But his style or his, his place for it is the future, the vision of what the team is going to look like down the line. And you've seen him really working at that. And like I said, he's, he's talked about it many times. And a lot of people don't quite understand that intricacy that Bergevin, you know, he, yes, he cares about winning games today, but ultimately that's not where his focus is nor needs to be. What his need is down the line next year, the following couple of years. And that's why we're at such a great position with the cap space because he's been managing that. Him and his team have been managing the signings, the trades, and all this down the line. So here we are now with a ton of cap space and this and the rest of the team we've hit a, a plateau for this year and the rest of the league now a lot of the teams in the league are in positions where they got to dump players and Allen is the great example so we were able to fix a need now based off of the future planning that Bergman has done the past couple of years so Bergman's gotten a lot of flack over his trades and or lack thereof or lack of signings but actually, it's now giving us the dividends that we're, his planning and his, his vision for the future is helping out today. So. so that visionary style of leadership, how hard is it for someone to transition from that to jump into a more uh, immediate form? Yeah, that's, that's, that's something that you see often. Some people have a hard time. What I would suggest, especially in a big organization like the Habs, is that you got to have trust with the rest of the team, right? And when I say the team, the management team, because everybody's got the role. So if Bergevin was completely dove into what needed to get done today, then he wouldn't be doing his job. He would be doing someone else's job. And the reality is you need to be able to delegate those, those jobs, effectively, you have assistant GMs, you have your coaching staff, you have your scouts, you have your head scouts, all those people, they have their roles. So if you're trying to do them as the general manager, you're not doing your job. You're not looking at the future. You're not looking, you know, bringing the people in saying, okay, who are the top prospects coming up? All right, who are people that next year, you know, start looking at the cap space. Who are the people's contracts are going to come up within the next two years that potentially we could look at signing? You know, where is our cap space going to be in 2022-23? All right, we'll have X number of millions available. Who are these players that we need to sign? Who are going to be the players that we could potentially look at picking up? If, if he's worried about who's going to be on the third and first line, he's not looking at that long-term future, those long-term plans that are going to be what makes the team down the road. So that's why he needs to kind of stay up there. Yeah, he's there day in, day out, watching all the games, watching – you know, the players and seeing how, because he needs to keep his finger on the pulse of his organization. But that's why, you know, all those other details are reasons why he's, ha- he's got good staff and he needs to delegate those things down. 
and enable them to do their job. So getting to today's Canadians, where they're at in their culture, um, do you feel that that visionary style of his, that looking down the road style uh, of leadership for Bergevin, is that what predicated the PK for Weber trade, in your opinion? That's a, that's a great question. <laughs> PK or Weber trade, is that thing ever going to die? Um, no. I don't think so. So no. here, here's what I would, I, I'm going to say my reaction to the trade because I'm sitting here in a Habs t-shirt doing the Habs podcast. So I'm a diehard fan. I like PK. But when the trade happened, I said, I said this. I said, wasn't surprised, not mad, not happy. Overall, okay. right? Because I was shocked myself. You were shocked? Well, it was just so much you know where there's smoke there's fire right and yeah. there was so much smoke revolving around pk and whether or not pk was going to be traded because it was days before his no trade clause kicked in and all that right his new contract with new trade clause there was so much smoke i'm like hmm there's there's more to be more than just rumor mill here there there could be something and boom sure enough the weber uh, PK trade happened and I was like yeah my brother called him and he's like hey PK just got traded I'm like BS he's like no seriously I'm like really he's like yeah Shea Weber I'm like okay I'm not surprised not happy about it but not mad at it at the same time because at least we got somebody for it you know solid defenseman Shea Weber now why did the trade happen there's 50 million different rumors and conspiracy theories out there and all this stuff <laughs> yeah. right uh, what I think the thing I think was probably the most prevalent that we could really point at is PK not necessarily fitting into the culture of the organization. And you can go to one of two ways with this, right? Because PK is, you know, PK is PK. He's very outspoken. He's flamboyant. He likes, he likes to do PK things and all that jazz. Montreal is a very conservative organization. Montreal, you know, you show up, you, you, you do your job, you work hard, you go home. You don't really go outside of the box too much. Those two things obviously clash. So now it becomes a matter of culture. You got, a, you got a, someone from the inside kind of driving a culture, you know, against the culture with an organization. And Blaine, you and I, we work in a very conservative co- co- organization, right? What happens to people who try to go outside of that, those arcs, those, that culture boundaries? You get whacked. You, you yep. get pre- hit pretty hard, you know, from the form of, you know, from extra duties, which I've done lots of my time as a young guy, uh, to being charged, thrown in jail, to thrown out of the organization. So Edmonton is nice this time of year, in my experience. <laughs> yeah, well, I've sent a couple guys there. That's not so fun. <laughs> let me know. Let me tell you. Oh, I know. <laughs> but the matter is, I think what happened was ultimately there was there was a, a culture issue within the organization. And was the whole organization going to shift more towards PK's perspective of how the culture should be? No. You, an organization will shift based off of one person. Uh, but it can, it can start. And I don't think that really the top management enjoyed the, what PK on that aspect was bringing to the organization. And they wanted someone who was more Weber, obviously, because they got Weber. But if you look at Weber, Weber fits into the culture of the Canadians. He, he is that, he's that quiet type. He, he plays hard. He hits hard. God, he shoots hard. And he, you know, he shows up, does his job, and goes home. So I think now that's kind of where things went. 
Yeah. And once PK left, Pacioretty was given the, the, the captaincy. And there was some there was some back and forth on whether Pacioretty was really cap material. And they had Weber there kind of in support. Um, did you feel that maybe there was some kind of a toxicity that was brewing in that entire situation that ended up causing Pacioretty to leave? That's a, that's a good question, which I've never uh, thought about, honestly. I, I was a huge Pacioretty fan. Uh, he was my favorite player, uh, favorite okay. Canadians player. I, I loved the way he was and, and the way he played and what he brought to the team. I think ultimately Pacioretty got given the captaincy due to, um, you know, basically uh, not allegiance, but you know, the fact that he was with the team since he entered the league. He's been, he was already there for so many years. He had played great for them. He had that with the uh, the rest of the players that rapport with the rest of the team, the players. So Weber was someone new, well known in the league. Everybody knew who Shea Weber was, but the, the players didn't know who Shea Weber was at the same point, right? They they didn't interact with him in the dressing room. They didn't interact with him on the ice. They didn't inter you know as a teammate. Uh, they didn't interact with him outside of the rink. So he was he was an unknown known entity per se. And the Canadians were going without their captain for long enough that they're like, okay, we need to put a C on someone. Patch Reddy is going to be our guy. Now, Weber is a super professional dude, right? If you, if you ever see him talk and the way he acts, he's uber professional. In that regards, I don't think Weber would have had the ego to say, what the hell? How come you're not putting the C on me right now? Why are you giving it to that guy? I think Weber would have understood where he, where he, where he fat, uh, fit into the organization. I am the new guy. I'm going to show up. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to go and carry, take Carrie and the rest of the team, and we're going to make a run for the cup. Does the captaincy really mean that much to me? I don't think Weber would have been that person to be like, what the hell? Why are you not giving me the captaincy? I come over from Nashville. I got all this experience, et cetera, et cetera. Why are you not putting the C on me? So I don't think Weber that toxicity i don't think really existed what happened in dress room we'll never know right we don't know what goes on in there rightfully so the team and the teammates need that space to be able to air out their dirty laundry amongst themselves to have that safe space to be able to hold each other accountable and you know talk through the problems but i don't see weber being that type of leader that got all up in arms over a letter on his chest now, with Pacioretty leaving, he was the obvious choice, right? He already had that rapport. He's been with the team for some time now. Guys knew who he was. Management knew who he was and what he was truly bringing to the table. And to me, yeah, Weber was the obvious choice after Patches left. Do you feel that uh, Weber's quiet confidence, his, uh, his demeanor, is that the major part of his aura? Or is his leadership style more subtle? more more under the under the surface i think it's both i think there's aspects to it uh both for sure the uh, calmness is is something you need that's something you need out, out of a captain at the right time right and i'll touch on galley as well so with weber he's cool he's calm he's collective under pressure and that's exactly what you want from a leader regardless of where you are 
in times of crisis and sports we're often playing in times of crisis you're down by a goal you're in crisis mode you need to get up you need to get tied a game you need to get up you're down in the series you need that leader who's going to calm people down get them to think clearly not make mistakes and ultimately cool everybody down so that they can play at their peak performance because when you're all chaotic everybody's like oh my god the world's on fire well performance drops like a rock and that doesn't matter if that's sports that doesn't matter if that's business that is common throughout so that's what weber brings to the table with his leadership style he's like guys you know chill out all right we got this do your jobs do them well do them better than the other team we'll get ahead now, as I said, Gallagher, Gallagher's on the other end of the spectrum, right? Gallagher's the guy that gets people fired up. And that's great for, uh, for Gallagher and his style because it kind of counters what Weber brings to the table because sometimes you need that person as well that will fire you up. You need someone that will calm you down, re- remove the fog of what we like to say, the fog of war, right? The, the BS, the crap that's floating around in a time of crisis, but then Gallagher to inspire, motivate the other on from the other side, get people pumped, get going. Holy crap! Look at Galley. He's fighting in front of the net. He almost scored a goal. We got this. We can beat these guys. We just got to do what we do. Now with uh, with Gallagher, do you feel that he is the next coming of the captaincy? A hundred percent. Galley's next up uh, once uh, once Shea. Uh, retires or, or you know, I can't say I don't foresee him getting traded but once Shea retires I think Gallagher's number one in line based off of what I just said you know he's that guy that will pump the team up they'll get them motivated they'll get them going when when their legs are legs are a bit you know heavy if the second game of a back-to-back and all this stuff they're down by a goal or two Gallagher's gonna go he's gonna crash the net he's gonna be taking the beatings in the corners and he's, you know, he's going to get teeth knocked out, stand up, spit blood out, yell at the ref, and score a goal, and motivate, pump the guys up, pump the crowd up. That's Gallagher style. What I would suggest, though, is they also need to counterbalance them, just like the the relationship that Shea and Gallagher have right now. They're going to need someone that comes in on with the alternate captain as someone that's going to be that cool, calm, collective type. But we also get that from Carey too, right? We also get that from Carey Price. Carey Carey's also very cool, calm. You see him in the net. Now, goalies are very different. And uh, I remember the debates when Luongo was, you know, the quote-unquote captain of the Vancouver Canucks. And there was a lot of debate whether or not a goalie should be a captain because of the extra responsibilities. Uh, it depends on the person, in my point of view. But what Carey does is he, he acts like Shea. When he's flopping around the net and he suddenly does this crazy save that no one saw, like the one on Novechkin, that Novechkin gave him the pat on the on the blocker there, right? He calms everybody down. It's like, boom, pucks out, face off, let's go. Everybody get back, calm down, let's roll. So that's something that Kerry brings to the table in regards to his leadership. But you also need someone on the bench that can do that too. So that's why I'm saying that Gallagher is definitely going to be the captain. I don't see anybody else rising to that level if the no sticks around you could you could potentially make the argument of the no uh giving a run but i don't think so especially if they let the players choose again i think the i think the players really rally around galley and see him he's more of a lead by example type and he's the guy that shows all right guys let's go let's play hard but at the same time if you put the no there is a keep the no as an alternate he'll help balance that right the whole thing 
Now with, uh, with Weber's current captaincy and his style of leadership, how much of an impact long-term, I mean, and I'm talking about years down the line after he has come and gone, how much of an impact will that have on the Canadian's culture? Oh, wow. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Um, Weber impact on the Canadian's culture. That's a great question that I, I don't know if we're going to know the answer anytime soon, right? And you got to think of all the other factors that have come to play. When we start talking about organizational culture, uh, Weber's definitely a key component to it, but the coaching staff is another key component to it. Bergevin is another key component to it. So organizational culture, as much as people like to think, oh, the person at the top sets the organizational culture, uh, it's not necessarily just them. They have the vision, they have the intent of what the organizational culture, but everybody else has to buy into it. And if everybody else doesn't buy into us having this culture of whatever, it's not going to happen no matter how much, you know, the GM could talk about it and like, Oh, we need a, you know, culture of work hard, work hard, whatever. <clears throat> but everybody's like, Oh, I'm just going to go out and skate my line, escape my lanes and shoot once every now and then and come back in and, and swap out. It's not going to, it's not going to pick up. It's not going to jive. It's not going to work. So Weber's impact on cu- culture of the Canadians down the line. I don't know if we could really suggest that, uh, we'll know what that is, but what I would suggest is what is the impact that he's going to have on the younger players that he is currently mentoring and bringing up uh, throughout the team? Guys like you know Ben Schrott, you know you know that uh, as much as Trego likes to bash him, Victor Mete, right? Jeff, he Petrie. really hates him. <laughs> Jeff he Petrie, really you know, look at Jeff Petrie and how he's developed since he's shown up with the Canadians. And, and now he's like a solid top pair for sure. Top pair, second pair, 1A, 1B type defenseman. You know, the impacts that Weber's had there on the individuals long term, I think is a better way that we could look at it. And I think we're going to see those impacts of, okay, play hard, keep calm, and we can, we'll get through this going through a lot of these guys down the line. Now, as someone who works in the same industry as you, I understand what mentorship means when it comes to a leader and a young member joining. So in, in that regards, uh, there's been talk of Suzuki and his uh, leadership aspects of his game how much of an impact would Weber's style and leadership have as a mentorship role with a young player such as Suzuki? I think it, it, it's got huge potential and impacts, right? Uh, young guys coming into the league are very um, susceptible. They, they can easily get, get varied off course. And I think this might've been a bit of Galchenik's issues, right? He didn't really necessarily, uh, stay in line because you got to think of it. These are young, young guys, you know, you know effectively cocky Emmy's case. He's a kid. He shows up and all suddenly they have boatloads of cash thrown at them. They have raging fans. They have all these external things that they never had before. And it's really easy to lose focus at why you're there, why you have all this stuff in the first place. And the reason why, that is is because you worked hard you became an outstanding hockey player that the canadians see potential in you so with that 
it's up to the older guys that have been around the league longer to mentor these younger guys to say, stay focused. Don't lose sight of why you're here. You're here because you're an outstanding hockey player. Yes, you're going to have boatloads of cash, and you can go ahead and you can party and you can have all these uh, top, top, uh, top suite condo parties with 50 million people and all this other stuff that goes on, I'm sure. But if you focus on that too much, you're going to lose the reason why we're here. And I think that's one of the reasons what's happened to Galchenik. I was a huge fan of Chucky for the longest time. I saw so much potential in him. I actually remember even saying there's more potential in Gallagher than there is in Galchenyuk. But Gallagher seems to be untapping it quicker. <clears throat> but now we see with Galchenyuk, you know, what's he going to do next year? Is he even going to be in the NHL? I don't, that's a question that uh, people can uh, go hunt the answer for. But what was the reason for it? Did Galchenyuk get properly mentored to keep his focus on what actually ma- mattered? Or did he end up going a little bit astray, looking at all the cool bonuses that came with being an NHL player? So this is where guys like Get Weber, Petrie, Carey, now Gallagher, this is where they're going to mentor these guys like Suzuki say, okay, yeah, you can ha- definitely have your fun. Save it for the off season. Don't go too crazy because you have to come back to work. Here, when we're working, this is what you need to focus on. This is what you need to do to line up for your future. This is what you need to make sure that you have in place so that you can focus at the job at hand, which is playing outstanding hockey. So Suzuki seems like he's a smart kid. I, I, I think he's a super smart guy. Actually, I shouldn't call him a kid. He's 20 years old, but in the league, he's a kid. But I think that if he gets properly mentored, he's going to be around the organization for a long time because he's not going to veer off path like we've seen with some of the other players. Now, you, you touched on something that I find extremely important with uh, NHL teams, and that's, that's the organizational mentorship, the development of a player. Um, do you feel in viewing the differences between Sid Vinefive and Joed Bouchal uh, at the AHL level, now that we're seeing players like Evans come up, do you feel that there's been a, a big difference in how they approach young players? I think so. Uh, you know, back to what I talked about at the beginning of the interview with KK. Like KK went down. He, he was struggling this season. I was like, my God, Kakinami, what's going on with you? You're, you're awesome in your rookie year, and now you're just struggling. And the reason why, because he, you know, he forgot about the basics of the game in reality, and that's what ends up. They go back down to get polished up. But I think the biggest thing is in Laval is understanding what their role is. Is their role to win down there or is their role to help the Canadians win? And I think there's a, yeah, it'd be nice to do both, right? I, I've gone to see Laval play and stuff like that. It would be great to do both. But the greater good for the organization, the greater organization is to help actually the development of the Canadians. And that's one of the reasons why I like Carl Alsner down there. Yeah, you can knock Carl Alsner all you want, but he's got a lot of experience and he can help these young defensemen pick their game up. And if I wouldn't even be surprised that, you know what, if, yeah, Carl's NHL days are done. 100% they're done. But once he's done playing hockey, why not have him down there as a defensive type coach? What, what hurt would that do? Why not look at maybe Murkoff coming back in a coaching role, some kind of coaching role down, down the line, you know, these guys and put them down there starting off to help develop these younger guys, help develop uh, the players so that they round up their skills, focus on the basics 
keep them sharp and then develop you know, into the different roles that the organization needs to fill. So you need that power play quarterback. Yeah, Shea Weber is kind of it, but at the same time, everybody around the league knows Shea Weber. So we need a second quarterback. We need that string two quarterback for the power play to you know, jump in there. And that not everybody is fully going to cover four men on one type thing. <laughs> so you can't get his 150 mile an hour slap shot off. So that's where they could be doing it. Down mentoring those players down in the AHL, prepping them and then bring them up. And that's why I wouldn't be surprised if Romanoff does a little bit of time down there. And I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be upset about it either. If to allow him to get used to the ice style, get used to the different flow of the game, get used to, just playing in North America, hearing English predominantly, right? That's, that's not going to be ingrained in him. He's going to be used to be hearing Russian on the ice. So just allow him to adjust and then develop a little bit and then bring him up and say, okay, here's your shot. Will they do that? I don't know. Maybe Romanov doesn't want that, but I think it would be an interesting trial to try out. Well, you, you bring up an interesting point on Romanov and one that we've brought up on the show before in – the reasoning why they brought him into the phase four bubble versus and burning off a year. In your opinion, do you think that those two and a half, three weeks of practicing with the team on North American ice with the team would make a difference for him for the next season? I, I think it, it makes the difference. It's not going to necessarily make a difference on his skills on the ice per se. What it's making the difference is, bringing him into the team, bringing him into the culture of the organization, getting him to learn who's who, meet the guys, you know, parting, gelling in with the team so that they're ready to become a cohesive unit next year. I think that is more the impact vice the actual drills, training, learning, learning the different plays, all that stuff. Reality is it's the relationship building part to me that they're getting the most bang for their buck and burning a year of the entry-level contract for. Now, we're going to cover, as we record this, it's Friday, September 4th. It's before the long weekend. Everyone's getting ready to uh, go camping for the last time in the summer. Um, And this weekend's episode of Habs Unfiltered, we're going to cover off what we think Bergevin's next move is going to be. So before we record... Obviously, this show is going to come out after. So I'm going to give you the opportunity to tell us what you think Bergevin is going to do. Like, just guess at what his next move is, because most people have a hard time with figuring uh, it out. Yeah, I don't. I think Bergevin doesn't even know what his next move is going to be. I think he. I think he. I think he goes with a list. I think he has a list, and the opportunities that pump up, pop out, he jumps at. So I don't even know if. Jake Allen was necessarily Jake Allen on his list of, uh, of, of things to do. What was definitely there was to find a backup for Carey Price. And then maybe St. Louis came to him with the opportunity. We don't know how that rolled out, right? Maybe St. Louis came to Montreal and said, hey, listen, we need to get rid of one of our goalies. We're interested in, you know, would you be interested in Jake? Maybe it went that way. Now, who is in Bergevin's you know, what, or what is in Bergevin's list of things that need to get fixed. Scoring winger is definitely there. Uh, another defenseman for the, to, to finish out the top four, right? <clears throat> and there's a few names that are floating around. Ty- Taylor Hall is one of them. I would love to see a Taylor on the, on, on the team. Uh, 
ironically, his mom lives right around the corner from me. So I, I'm going to show up with a Canadian's t-shirt if that ever happens. Uh, <laughs> I see his car uh, in the summertime. I'm actually surprised I haven't seen it yet. But the matter of fact is, you know, Taylor Hall is going to be a free agent. He's going to be there. Would Taylor be interested to come to Montreal? I think there's a good potential that he, he could be. Uh, Peter Angelo out of St. Louis, another St. Louis player, you know, that I would not complain about. Outstanding player. And then I'm sure he has a different list of names that they're going to be interested in for those different holes that they need to fill this year. But it goes back to looking at what cap space that they have available this year, but not only this year, but down the line and see who's coming up for signings. The signing of Max Domi is going to be a question mark. So how is Max going to get one signed with, signed with us and stay with us? That will have impacts on what Bergevin has available to him down the line. Victor Mete, what is going to happen for Victor Mete? Is he going to stay a Canadian? As uh, Treg looked to say, he's working himself off the team. And I wouldn't disagree with it. I've, I've liked Mete. I liked his style, like uh, his speediness. And for a small guy, he still, you know, he still fights where he can and stuff like that. But he hasn't really blown out of coming just, you know, that between second and third line defensemen. And there's a lot of people that are pushing up now that could potentially push him out. So I wouldn't be surprised to see Victor Mete in a different jersey next year. Uh, would I be upset about it? No. Would I be super happy about it? No. But, you know, thanks, thanks Vic. Uh, best of luck to you, right? So there's a lot of questions there. Who's Bergevin going to sign? I don't think anyone knows but I think he's got a list of players that he's after that he's interested in. It's just kind of, you got to get all the pieces to fit. The money is an aspect. Uh, the, will they fit into the team is another aspect. Do they fill the role is another aspect. And it's really difficult for us uh, as fans who see kind of, you know, outside of what the organizations want us to see and not necessarily what we see in the dressing rooms behind the closed doors and stuff like that to have a full understanding about it. How much weight do you think Bergevin is going to put on to that one aspect of how they fit, how they, they, they would gel in that team culture? Well, you go back to your earlier question, right? That's probably to me is the basis of the PK's uh, shade trade. Um, so I think it's huge. Uh, if a player shows up, you can have the best scorer in the league, you know, we could go ahead and say Edmonton wants to trade us McDavid for a bag of pucks. Who would not jump at that deal? But if McDavid's not going to fit into the team, if he's just going to show up and clash with every other player on the roster, then how valuable is he in the first place? He's, you know, it, it, hockey's not the game where you can have just one player win the game for you. You need four lines rolling. You need your defense shutting down. You need your goaltender to be a wall. And we see, we're seeing that now as the playoffs progress is that those teams that have a really weak area, and I say this about Toronto, and I'm going to throw a dig at Toronto now, is I've, I've, I've said, yeah, Toronto's great up front. They can score goals. They can move. They fly. They got, you know, Austin Matthews, Mitch Mariner, JT, Nylander, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But their back end's crap. Their back end is garbage. And you, that's why they're not playing right now because they're not that full team. So back to my point about 
one player can't do it all. So if you have someone, even if they're the biggest superstar in the league, if they don't fit in with the rest of the team, the team's going to go nowhere. You've got to have that cohesion. You've got to have that cohesive unit because you're talking about high-performing teams, peak performers, right? And you don't have the space in this level to have these issues pop up. You don't have it because everybody else is right at that edge with you. You can look at even, you know, the horrible teams out there like this past year, like Detroit. And if you could do, if you look at Detroit and the top team, who wins the cup and look at the real differences and you break it down, the reality is when normal players like you and I look at them, there is not that much of a difference. But when you put all these teams together, all these high performers together, that's when all of a sudden you can see the difference in the high performers and not so high performers. So that's why you don't have the space. You have to have the cohesion. You have to have that camaraderie. And if one player is not a fit for the team, they are not going to be worth it. Now, to give you the final word, uh, I think we've covered quite a bit in this episode. I think our listeners are going to take away quite a bit. And I appreciate you coming on and giving us your point of view on the leadership and the background behind some of these uh, possible background behind some of these decisions. I'm going to give you a couple of minutes to, uh, to plug anything you want. It's your show. You can do what you do and say what you want. So the floor is yours. Uh, thanks, man. Uh, I'll, I'll keep it simple. Uh, leadership uh, or senior army officer by day, leadership coach at night. Uh, I do run a podcast called moving for leadership. Uh, and that's all housed at movingforleadership.com. So all my show notes are there. You can check out me. You can subscribe to the show there. It's super easy for you. Feel free to drop me a line uh, and access to all my different social media, I, you know, links, uh, whether that's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, et cetera. That's all housed there as well. So movingforleadership.com. And if you want to just, you know, you want to quickly subscribe, just go to movingforleadership.com forward slash subscribe. And it's basically a one-click subscribe option for whatever platform you listen to podcasts. Uh, but super fan of the show, Blaine. You guys are rocking. love it. And uh, super proud to be here, man. Uh, talking about the two things I, I, I love the most, uh, leadership and hockey. Well, I appreciate you came on and doing it. Um, we uh, Just talking hockey is therapeutic for me personally, so... I appreciate you coming on and uh, I hope to have you again soon. All right. Thanks, buddy. Thank you. Do you have a moose near the caboose that needs to be tamed? I'm talking hairy, big, and needs some support. Thankfully, our sponsor today, Manscaped, has you covered to keep the hair looking nice and trimmed and feeling fully supported. Manscaped offers precision engineering tools for your family jewels. Maluga! Did you hear that? That's your moose asking for Manscaped. Manscaped engineering team just perfected the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created, the Lawnmower 3.0. The premium Lawnmower 3.0 is waterproof, includes an LED light, and is made with advanced skin safe technology, which reduces nicks and cuts on your delicates. You can get this trimmer inside their Perfect Package 3.0, which also includes the Manscaped Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and the Crop Reviver Ball Toning Spray, both super practical and they smell great too. Plus, for a limited time, when you order the Perfect Package Kit, you get two free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag and the Manscaped Anti-Chafing Boxer Briefs. 
The Manscaped Anti-Chafing Cooling Boxer Briefs might be one of my favorite parts of this collection. The Manscaped Boxer Briefs have optimal temperature control with their crop cooling technology while keeping your pride and joy supported. The waistband is also super elastic to reduce chafing and rubbing. Plus, when your girl sees this logo, she knows she's got a real Manscaped man. Pair these boxer briefs with their pH balancing liquid products like the Crop Preserver and you're ready for anything. You need to try this out for yourself. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code UNFILTERED20 at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. We here at Habs Unfiltered would like to thank you, all of our listeners, old and new, for tuning in. Please, click subscribe so that you never miss an episode of all of our shenanigans. And remember, if you are talking about it, so are we. Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundal from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people, he, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com.